Welcome to the Minneapolis Insider Podcast, produced by Meet Minneapolis and sponsored by U.S. Bank. We take you behind the scenes of events, happenings, and all things Minneapolis. I'm Kristen Montag from Meet Minneapolis, and joining me today as co-host is my colleague from Meet Minneapolis, Kim Inslee. And it's nice to be here with you, and we've got two great guests. I know. I'm very excited. We have a, a couple of true insiders, a couple of people who knew Prince best, coming up on the third anniversary of the untimely passing of Minneapolis icon Prince Rogers Nelson. Paisley Park is holding Celebration 2019, its third annual event to honor the life and memory of Prince. And while people who attend that four-day event will get to hear music by original Prince collaborators, panel discussions, and special presentations, today you get a little taste of what it might be like to talk to photographer Alan and now I should ask how to say your last name. Bolio. Bolio. And uh, writer Neil Carlin. Both were close to Prince, and we're excited to hear and share some of their behind-the-scenes stories. Yeah, they've got some great stories. So a little bit more about Alan. Alan is a photographer who worked with Prince from the late 70s to the early 80s, capturing the progression from the rising star that he was to his ultimate purple superstardom. Uh, always at Prince's side with camera in hand, Alan Bolio helped carry uh, Prince forward to his with his vision with three legendary album cover images. Also promotional photos during the groundbreaking Dirty Mind controversy in 1999 era. And he captured just a ton of live performances while on tour with Prince. A lot of good stuff. And uh, most recently, Alan published some of his photos from that time in a book along with the uh, Minnesota Historical Society Press. It's called Prince Before the Rain with contributors Des Dickerson, Jim Walsh, and Eloy LaSanta. And then I'll introduce you to our second guest today. Neil Carlin is a Minneapolis writer with eight books to his credit, along with numerous articles from the New York Times, The New Yorker, Esquire, GQL, Newsweek, and many other publications, as well as being a member of the adjunct faculty at the University of Minnesota Journalism School. He's also a writer who first interviewed Prince for the Rolling Stone in 1985 and again in 1990. And he also became a close friend of 31 years to Prince. Welcome, Neil. Hey, thanks for having me. And um, I think we're going to start with a question for Alan because his book is out right now and we want to, to talk a little bit about that in a bit. But um, let's start at the beginning and how did you get to know Prince and work with him in your downtown Minneapolis studio? Like what was the origin of that? Well, how I first met Prince was um, interesting. My brother, uh, we were at a nightclub in St. Louis Park and on top, I think they had dining or maybe. And then in, in, the, in the basement, they had a disco. And my brother went there on like a Saturday night just for entertainment. And uh, they played soft and wet. And my brother said, you should work with that guy. He's from here. <laughs> and I went, how would I ever beat him, right? I, I go, I, I don't know how to get a hold of that guy. I mean, I, you know. He goes, no, I'd be good for you. And I go, yeah, I bet it would. <laughs> and... Well, you know, I was shooting fashion early in my career for mm -hmm. Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine, Donaldson's Department Store, if you remember that. Mm -hmm. I did some work for Dayton's. Target never hired me. <laughs> anyway, um, so I did a lot of fashion shoots, and uh, I got hired by, by the YWCA, not the YMCA, YWCA back then, by Bernadette Anderson and to do a Shades of Blackness fashion extravaganza um, fashion show. So it was called Shades of Blackness. So I did exactly pretty much what the what it says. 
I had two gorgeous, beautiful black models, a male and a female, dressed them in black, shot them on a black background. And that's in the book, and you can look at it anytime you want. It's beautiful, yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful picture. And, well, uh, the person who hired me for that was Bernadette Anderson, who happened to be Andre Simone's mother. And that was Prince's bass player. Sure. And Prince had just gotten kicked out of his house and was living with Andre. Saw the poster, went up to Bernadette, give me that guy's number. Called me immediately. I was I remember I was printing at the time and it was in this dark room and had these, you know, safe lights and it was really dark, phone rings. And I go, Hello and, and he goes, Um this is Prince. Because I was used to his falsetto voice. Not that I think he would use that in a normal conversation. It was just surprisingly low. You know, it was, um, you know, from soft and wet what I heard. And that was the only thing I ever heard. And then to, you know, hear this voice so on the phone. So you didn't believe it was him probably, right? Well, I kind of knew it was him because the way he, his... Is, I don't know, people have a certain sad like, I don't know, thing when they're a star or think they're going to be a star or whatever. But he, whatever he had, he had that. So I, I knew he wasn't kind of lying to me. But I remember this was a funny moment because I, I think I'm, you know, this is really Prince. And he goes, he asked me, he goes, well, how much are you charging out? And I went, you know, I'm just spitballing here. I'm going, well, how about $150? <laughs> Now, back in the 70s, it was like 78, I was 29 years old, just starting my new, a new studio, you know, I was just getting started, I was on my own, I was usually employed before, like with Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine and Donaldson's, you know, getting an hourly wage and all that, so I was finally striking out on my own, and uh, yeah, one of my first clients is Prince, and... Not bad, so he took you up on that. Yes. So I want to... Get to the uh, you know how did you how did you fall into this theme with Neil as well? So you got this assignment with Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah, I was living in New York and I was a staff writer writing about politics for Newsweek. And if so that's how does that come to a Prince assignment? <laughs> but um, one of my bosses went over to Rolling Stone and I'd been doing freelance stuff for them while I worked for. Um, uh, Newsweek. Actually, the first time I, if it sounds hoity-toity, oh, writing about politics or Newsweek, <laughs> I was so low in seniority that on election night '84, I wrote the Mondale wins scenario. You know, oh, never saw the light of day. Okay. and that's the first time I wrote about him. I put him on the Supreme Court. You had to write those sidebars. But I, I was supposed to. He hadn't talked for several years. You know, I'm not talking. And Lisa Coleman and Wendy Melvoin mm -hmm. agreed to talk for him on his behalf and he would post for the cover so I got the freelance assignment and I talked to them and I didn't say oh could you talk to the boss and suddenly I was in the Denver airport and I got paged I was 25 years old this is like talking about a previous lifetime right. and um, I'd never been paged in the airport in an airport before I said and I just kept listening to it wondering who died and see, how many of my relatives <laughs> and um, so I went over, picked up, and it was Rolling Stone. It's like, he wants to talk. He wants to talk to you. you got to get to Minneapolis. And luckily, I was going home to... I, I wasn't living here, but I was still home. Um, I was on my way home. And uh, um, I always thought they had told him, Lisa and Wendy, that I was from Minneapolis. And it wasn't until 
31, 30, after he died, and I started listening to these tapes again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized he didn't realize I was from Minneapolis till three days after we had started. We were driving around, we were by Eloise Butler. So they Park. just said, you, This is a great guy, you got to talk to him? I don't know. I couldn't figure That's. I actually, I still, I, I wrote them, and I'm in touch with them, and I love them, but they didn't answer. And then, what was interesting, and you know, he was, he was so contradictory. I mean, we all are. I mean, Alan, you were talking about how what a terrible driver he was. I was going to say he was such a careful driver. The first <laughs> magazine article, it was just driving around North Minneapolis, his old haunts. That helped sort of bond so because my grandparents still lived there. So we were, I, I actually met him at age 11. He lived, my grandparents lived right next to the Dairy Queen on Morgan Avenue. I mean, I have the tape wow. where it's like, it starts off with, I'm going, God, that's where I used to go sledding. And he went, oh no, he was saying, well, let me describe the difference between South Minneapolis and North Minneapolis. And I said, I know, my grandparents live right there, you know, and <laughs> it just sort of took off there. And, um, but also people talk about, Oh, how disloyal is he? Lets people go, you know. His best friends. He was so loyal to me before he even knew me. When he, when they called Rolling Stone and said he wants to talk, you know, the music editor was like, "Gonna poach the story from me." That's what just happens. And he said without even knowing, "No, I'm not gonna talk." And he didn't pose for any pictures for that cover story. Um, and he was so loyal to me. So everyone talks about how disloyal he was, and then. He was more loyal to me than anybody has ever been in, you know, a source has been in my life. He was like that to me, too. People talk about how he'd always stiff them on, um, he for took, money he, he paid took me care right of me. And yet, on the other hand, he also stiffed me on something, you know what I mean? It went both <laughs> ways, but I guess we're all kind con- of contradictory. Yeah. And it's just interesting to see everybody from the past sort of come out. I, I hadn't written about him in 26 years, and if I knew at my age, nearing 60, I'd be back in rock and roll would be like, whoa, I don't know if I want to do that, but it's interesting seeing everybody sort of grow up with this figure who's no longer here. Well, he was really loyal to me. I mean, every time I worked with him, and and we became friends. We weren't client-photographer relationship. That's, I think, the one thing people need to know. I'm very humbled and honored to work with Prince. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew it from the first time I met him that he was going to be something out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. And when the first photo shoot we did was this shoot, the star photo. It's on the cover of my book. And um, Did you think you were friends with him while you were... You know, at, when we did this shot, we were, we were, you know, he came to my studio at 8 o'clock at night, which is unusual for me because I was a 9 to 5 photographer. Mm-hmm. And he comes in at 8 at night. and But I'm just going, well, just, you know, let's see how it goes. And I do this shot. And he comes in the next day, and he's looking at my film, and it's like around 11 o'clock, and he keeps going, these are really bad. These are really bad. And I'm going, holy Hannah, what did I do? I lost him, like, right away. And he goes, no, these are really bad. Bad meaning good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just didn't get it. You know, I was used to the corporate world. When somebody said it was bad, they meant it was the worst he could do. You heard that at MSP Magazine, it was all over. Yeah, it was all over, yeah. No, he, no, so he, you know, and then um, I think about the fifth shoot-in, we just became the best friends ever. And I was really loyal to him, like, you know, I'd have other publications, publications like, call me, like, the National Enquirer at the time, and 
all those other little publications, I would give them nothing on Prince. I'm sure he knew that. He, you know, I'm he sure trust, he did. Trusted you, yeah. No, I, he was very loyal to me and 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 made sure I got paid. And uh, in fact, when we went on tour, I was in the room next to him the whole time. I mean, he really took care of me, and I'm sure he took care of you too, Neil. Yeah, but I never thought. I mean, I never said while he was alive. I'm friends with Prince because it seems so preposterous, and I always would even tease him because he would call, especially later, he'd call me in the middle of the night. That's when he said, "You always," right. and I always said, "I know you're only calling me because I'm the only other person who's up in the middle of the night." You know? <laughs> and it wasn't. He was so fractured his personality, and I'm not saying this is in, out of disrespect. He had no. dark um, that I don't think anybody or my hypothesis and what I'm right is knew him more than 15%. This wasn't how I ran my friendships. I don't run my friendships, but where you talk to someone once a week for six weeks and then you don't talk to them for a year. Right. And it, it was on his terms. And it wasn't until after he died and you start putting together the pieces. And sort of, I found the dirty little secret among people who actually knew him was that none of us really knew him no. that well. And, and it's... I mean, knew him in totality. But he, he felt, he felt like he felt something for you. He sent a note to you. That oh no! I have all these letters where he would say this stuff, but it was so. I, I hate reporters who conflate their importance with who. But he, it, one of it was it one of his notes where he just said, "I love you." I mean, it's that's not a thing that somebody who doesn't feel close to you says. Right, and that same letter it was. Um, he said, "Please cherish our friendship." As I do. and I just you don't. I. I didn't realize it until after he died, and I reread these things that I had. Yeah, because it looks like he was looking for affirmation of the friendship from you too. Yeah, yeah, and I think I'm. It, it, it all. This is again where the previous lifetime. It's yeah. like I can't believe I was that stupid, or I couldn't bear <laughs> listening to these tapes of me at 25 and him at 26 or 27. Because there were ghosts, not just his ghosts, yeah, but sure. my ghosts, sure. and the ghosts of Lisa and Wendy. It was all, it was all just from another era. But never at any point did I feel like I'm as confident. And it made me sad when I realized afterwards, whoa, I really, I didn't realize what we had. But then again, I'm thinking maybe because I did keep my distance, um, that's why I was able to know him for. 31 years to whatever extent. You know, the same thing, I mentioned Jan Winter, Rolling Stone, the moment he knew your name, you knew you were about to get fired. When Prince <laughs> called you his best friend, you knew he'd never speak to you again <laughs> next Tuesday. So uh, <laughs> I just have listened to tapes of his best feel, friend. I mean, it sounds to me, just listening to both of you, you know, keeping, keeping your distance, not believing that this is a person in your orbit, do, did he feel that, that everybody kept their distance from him? Is this a person who... Not on the inner circle, not where I was. So you, I he was, had close friends? Oh, yeah. Okay. I was on, definitely on the inner circle. I mean, his band was on the inner circle. And, you know, managers weren't. You know, he hated authority. You know, he, he was just a young kid and uh, tons of talent. Could write a song in about three seconds. And it'd be great. And... Uh, you know, we just knew each other a long time, a really long time. I was on three tours, like you said, three album covers. Nobody stays with a, a, a photographer that long. You know, it just doesn't happen. In fact, I was telling Neil out in the lobby, actually Prince hired me to do Purple Rain. And we had talked about it. You know, I said, well, we should shoot it like this and like this and like that. 
looked at the album cover, there it is. <laughs> exactly what I told him to do. And, you know, so it's weird that that happened. But uh, it was great being friends with Prince. And I knew I was a friend of Prince. You know, I knew that. I mean, later in life, I mean, you know, um, the last time I saw him alive was that he was doing the movie Graffiti Bridge. Now, you'd have to look up what year that was. And he actually sent for me to come out to Paisley Park where they were shooting Graffiti Bridge. And uh, I was, um, I thought they were doing a scene. So I remember, you know, laying down, you know, not to be in the way of anybody. And he snuck up behind me in this big fur white coat mm -hmm. and just hugged me like really hard. And I turn around and it's Prince and I hug him back. And you know, if I'd known that was the last time I was gonna see him, I, I would have hugged a lot harder. But mm -hmm. you know, nobody knows. Right. Nobody knows the last time. And there's again the contradictions. There are people, Alan Leeds, who for ever said, Prince never hugged anybody, and yet I saw him hug that. You know what I mean? It's right. not like right. Well, that just Alan, shows that nobody really knew Prince. I just 100%. think he was, everyone's compartmentalized, you know, but I've, he was the most compartmentalized person I've ever met. And I, I but he knew I where I was on this movie set. Yeah, yeah. He As he was, you know, doing this complicated movie in his own soundstage, which I'm sure he had a lot of responsibilities, and yet he knew where I was in an instant. And he could sneak up behind me <laughs> and hug me. Yeah. I mean, that was planned. You know, yeah, and he knew Minneapolis history, which I like. I mean, you mentioned Graffiti Bridge, and that place had seven corners in the fifties. I mean, Minneapolis. No, did. it didn't mean it's something. A, it was a bridge in Eden Prairie. I kept I telling mean, that him thing, about. But, I mean, the movie itself. I kept telling him about this Graffiti Bridge, and I think he just got tired of me saying it. You know, he says, "Finally," and he goes, "Let's go shoot that." And I go, "Okay." So, we load him up in my van. It's just me and him. Could you imagine that today? I mean, Beyonce getting in my van and say, let's go do a shoot? No, never happened. <laughs> well, I had Prince right next to me. We go to this bridge in Seen Prairie. It's by a golf course. And guys had graffitied this whole bridge. And I see, I go, see, it's graffiti bridge. So we, I spray painted his name at that time. But that's the only time. And then, um, but when we got up to the bridge, he was really little. In stature so to see the graffiti I'd have to almost be I was laying on the ground mm -hmm. so finally I put them on some boxes but by the time of getting all the boxes and everything set and then shooting the shots and you can see them in the book um, fans had started to show up and everybody's you know circling around and, and finally he just says we got to get out of here I can't take this you know people are you know starting to recognize me and and he didn't like that at all now, Neil, you just brought up that that there's a, the story of, from Graffiti Bridges being Minneapolis history. So do you right. think that I mean, maybe... You're right about the bridge. Yeah. It's just the story. I don't, um, um, takes place at Seven Corners when all the jazz clubs gotcha. were there in the 50s. And, um, so he uh, kind of probably combined some of these things into Right, and it was very, when his father was playing jazz. Sure. And his father actually made a living at my great uncle. That's my grandmother's first cousins um, strip club <laughs> Augie's that's how they all made all the jazz musicians made their living at the strip clubs he talked about it a yeah. lot and uh, in what I'm working on um, it's a lot about 
him and his father. I mean, that's the big dynamic, you know. He was the genius, his father wasn't, you know. It's a terrible thing to have your your father jealous of um, you, you know. It's I, a, I wouldn't only, imagine he'd be jealous because... He claimed to have written Purple Rain at the end in his really? life. Yeah, like. So really, you're bringing up your book then. So you're working on a book. Yes. Alan's got one that's out right now, and it's you're great. I love Alan's yeah, book. Yeah, and so your book. your book is coming out next year. So is it going to be more of a, a biography? Yeah, it's a bio memoir of okay. um, the time I knew him. You know, over. I mean, it's a biography, but also built in a memoir, and um, it's not going to be one of those my. Me and my pal Dean Martin books, you know, <laughs> but it's um, it's and also the star making machinery kind of, of his rise and fall and rise, you know, so much of his career people thought he was cuckoo, you know, and it's funny the revisionist history that takes place after death where we all sort of imagine we loved him forever and you know, Minneapolis didn't. No, really. they did not. They I did not. The I was surprised. They played him on the radio. When I would take my portfolio to other places. And I'd have Prince nationally, you know, Dirty Mind, National Album, Warner Brothers Records, and Controversy. Have them in my portfolio. Mm -hmm. and, and show them to future clients and art directors. And they'd all be my peers at that time, you know, much younger, 29, 30. Yeah, and they'd just turn up their nose at Prince. Every time I saw Prince, I knew I wasn't getting hired. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Huh. Well, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just you, you were talking about, and both of you, you know, Minneapolis didn't love Prince. Your column that you wrote, Neil, after he died, um, talked about Minneapolis not, you know, waiting until the day after he died to fully show how much they loved Prince, and I, I'm sure you felt that too. So, why do you think that is? And I also want to ask you, what do you think? people didn't get about Prince at the time until he died and they looked at the body of music and said oh my goodness this is amazing I don't know if they looked at the body, body of the music and I don't know if I'm being a cynic and I don't want to be a cynic but there's part of me that thinks people here and I'm from here so I feel like I can be the disloyal opposition what they didn't discover rediscover the body of music they saw the Eiffel Tower being lit purple the New Yorker being purple mm. it being on the front page of the New York Times four days in a row and um, uh, you know there's there's a, a statement some, uh, Francois Mignon said you know we like our conform we love our live conformists and our dead nonconformists and I think that's what happened with Prince, I mean, now it's apostasy to say I, people weren't bent into him here. You know, it's like no, we all he's our he's our new Mary Tyler Moore. But this is the last place in the country they played him. Yes. Um, uh, Same with lip sync, though. Yeah, yeah. He, he couldn't hear. It was number one in seventeen it was, it countries. Was, actually, it, I I saw it on the Dick Clark American Bandstand. At the number one uh, was uh, what's the name of that song? Uh, by Funky Dave. Town. Funky Town. Yeah. yeah, it was number one on Dave Clark. He pulls away the number one sign, Lip Sync. And then I get to meet Lip Sync guy, you know, Steven Greenberg. And he's such a cool guy. And I did some photographs with him for his second album that nobody saw. I mean, he had that one hit. And he kept saying to me, I, I, I wrote Moon River because I think five people copied that song or redid it over the years. But... Yeah, you know, so... I think it's a Minnesota thing almost, though. And 
where we, not just music, am I being, it's just part of the, um, August Wilson, the playwright, was they should have built a temple to him when he was here, but, yeah, you know, the Guthrie never put him on. F. Scott Fitzgerald has to be dead for 50 years before they give him a statue. Right. Yeah. I, th I went to um, Augsburg, and they used to say that the college had militant modesty, and that was a, some kind of a Lutheran Minnesotan thing, but I think that's probably <laughs> somewhat the case. I, I think we, we tend to kind of, you know, oh, we're not that big a deal. <laughs> you know, we push it aside a little bit. Yeah. Well, no, back to the, the thing is uh, all those people being in front of First Avenue, um, I looked at that on my TV. I was still crying. Mm -hmm. I cried for two days after Prince passed away. He was a friend of mine. Yeah. And I had so much loss back then. My brother and my mother in two consecutive years. And then Prince. I mean, there's another friend. It just it was way too much for me to take. And, you know, and I knew Minneapolis didn't like him, you know. And then I see this on TV, you know, out in front of... First Avenue, they're playing his music, they're dancing, they're Thousands celebrating. Of yeah. Thousands of people are celebrating his death, but when he was alive, no. It so. didn't seem like hypocrisy to me, though. It seemed genuine, oh, but it was I sort of like mean. people had changed like their it. mind. It's like after John F. Kennedy got assassinated, 75% of the population thought they had voted for him. I was shocked at my own reaction. If the night before he died, I would have bet, I would give someone 10,000 to one odds. No pop star would die and I'd be paralyzed and sobbing for right, a day. Right. And I was like, you know what I mean? So I'm not, I was just as hypocritical as anybody, right. you know. Um, when is, so when is the book coming out again? I think, Christy, you said November? Or, uh, well, actually, I think Neil, Neil's book is coming out next year. Yeah, it's St. Martin's Press, Macmillan Publishers, and um, um, the only thing that makes it, you know, there have been all these prints, bios and stuff different, is that um, the length of time I knew him from Purple Rain to the end. I got a hairdresser I can meet. Hook you up with. Yes, no, and Kim, too, you know, it's, Kim Barry. And, you know, of all the sort of tributes that came out after after he died, Kim's, was, you know, I could read, it's like, I don't think they really, you know, he didn't talk that way. Right. But Kim's was very, right, it was in like Beautician Magazine. Or right, it was right. the best article of all. Well, that, that actually kind of brings me to a question, maybe we can kind of wrap with is, you know, you're, you did a book, you're writing a book all these people are putting their stories out there. How do you think Prince would have felt about all of this happening? Because he was so private and he kept control of things. There's a lot of questions I have about his estate and all of those things, but ultimately all of you who are friends with him are telling your stories now. How do you think he would have reacted to this? I think it depends on who's telling the story. You know, I know he trusted me, I'm loyal to him, and, and some people aren't. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to say anything bad about Prince. I love the man. So for my book, I don't think you'd mind. I think it, it depends, on, depends on who's telling the story. Now for other people, that's for them, their own selves too. You know, like Neil, how do you feel about it? And you know, he'd have a different reason. And you know, I, Steve Park, I love to death. The guy is unbelievably talented. Um, but he has his own story with Prince. Neil, what about you? I think he was different friends with every, but you know, like 
I read the thing one of his lawyers said about this will, which I do actually believe exists. And he said, I don't think he had a will because he never talked about death. And I read that and I went, oh, this guy never talked to him. That's all he talked about was death since I was 25. And then I realized, how do I know? I had a totally different, you know, I think people had very different... You got a different slice. Relation, you know, and so the last time I talked to him, which was about a month before he died, I got very jangled because it was one in the mo- one in the afternoon, not one in the morning. It's like, wait a minute, I'm not your one in the afternoon guy right. or one in the afternoon. <laughs> you know, it's like something was wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I still realized I don't know what I don't know, which right. is a lot. Right. You know. Right. So I feel now like I'm friends. It's weird, and I feel guilty that I did wasn't able to sort of say. Well, I think we all, you know, when someone you love passes. Who doesn't want to go back and say, I wish I would have called him the day before. Mm -hmm. I wish I would have called him a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. It's only natural. Well, we'll look forward to reading your account, definitely. And the book is beautiful, Alan. Thank you, It's just wonderful photography in there. It was fun to relive some of those moments. Thank you. Yeah, and, you know, I thought this right from the beginning. We could probably talk all day because these stories are fascinating, but we'll have to sadly wrap this up a little bit now but um we really appreciate you sharing some of your personal experiences and this is a, a great conversation um I, I don't know if you're both involved with prince celebration or other things but i'm sure people will have more opportunities to hear your stories so um thanks again for what you've shared today um i'm going to just tell everybody alan's book prince before the rain is available from the minnesota historical society press and you can also find his work on alanphotos.com And we'll all look forward to Neil's upcoming book from St. Martin's Press Macmillan Publishers in April of 2020. And you can also follow his work on neilcarlin.com. And for those of you who are interested in following Prince's footsteps in Minneapolis, check out our exclusive Experience Prince's Minneapolis self-tour that um, includes detailed event information and other um, things like a remembrance page on minneapolis.org, which is our website. And you just go on the website and search for Prince's Minneapolis. Uh, You can get more insider information on what to see and do in Minneapolis by following Meet Minneapolis on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And finally, we welcome you to subscribe to the Minneapolis Insider Podcast, sponsored by U.S. Bank, on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Google Podcasts. So thanks for listening, and anything to wrap up? No, thank you, guys. It's been fun to hear you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.